Time now for our series on New Zealand sporting history to continue. And today we're talking about the greatest heavyweight boxer to have never won the belt. David Tua retired after a 52-win, five-loss record from Samoa, raised in Aotearoa. David was, is, was, is one of our biggest sports stars, inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame in LA last year. He's on holiday in Samoa at the moment and thanked us for continuing to support him, humble as ever about his great sporting achievements. So to help us remember the career of David Tua today, I'm joined by another legend, TVNZ sports reporter Stephen Stewart, who was there in Las Vegas when Tua went for the world title and joins me now in the Auckland studio. Hello. Good to be here, Jesse. Nice hat. 23 years old, actually. <laughs> I actually gave away my Tua Lewis hats they had at the time. But funny story. So this is a Michael Buffer, let's get ready to rumble. You know, let's get ready to rumble. Yeah. I walked into the merchandise shop at the Mandalay Bay where the event was held. It's like an enormous complex to buy some Buffer wear. And he walks in. <laughs> he's got a woman on his arm who's about 30 years younger, but he'd had more work. <laughs> but I got him for an interview. It's that sort of place. You just keep bumping into people at that title oh, fight. Oh, that's cool. Um, biggest event, sports event in 2000. That's the year 2000. Yeah, we, um, we'll get to that fight. But where does the story of David Tua, the boxer, begin? Well, it began as an amateur in South Auckland. His father got him into boxing when he was seven years old. And when your father says you're going to box, you don't really have much option, do you? If you don't box, you probably get a clip around the ear. So, mm. of course, he took up boxing. And like a lot of young PIs, Pacific Island athletes, they mature early. So he was a guy fighting, a teenager, fighting against much older rivals, won the national heavyweight title when he was 15. I think I encountered him about a year or so later when I was working at TV3. He was a kitchen hand at a, a central city Auckland hotel. In other words, he did the dishes. <laughs> and his trainer by that stage was a guy called... Um, I'm just trying to remember his name. Jerry Preston? No, Jerry was his original uh, John, John, John Mackay? No, it was in between, actually. It was a guy who's... He was the butler at the hotel. <laughs> Tua was the dishwasher, but he dressed all of his boxes in look, what looked like prison stripes. It was really weird. Yeah. Um, so pretty. Cameron Todd was the name of the trainer. It was really humble beginnings. Yeah. So he was washing dishes, but was he already a, a heavyweight titleist then? National, that's his New Zealand heavyweight. Yeah, yeah. And often in those, you've got very few rivals. There's yeah. very little opposition. And if they know that this little kid's going to knock you out, who's going to want to get in the ring? Let's be honest. So that's what he was. Heavyweight, heavyweight, or age group heavyweight? No, senior heavyweight. Yeah. At 15. Yeah, as I say, they develop young, some of these guys. And when you th- consider the, the height of him, crazy, eh? How, how tall was he? Certainly, I remember. Next well, he's, to, he's next shorter to Lennox, than you, Lennox Lewis. Yeah, I oh, know he was shorter. He was a, sort of Mike Tyson height. Yeah, but yeah. Um, which made it hard for other boxers to fight him when a guy is that, of that stature. Right. Um, so he's at 19 years old, still an amateur, and he heads to the 1992 Olympics. And what happens there? He gets to the semi-finals. Great. The whole country is getting excited because remember. We weren't winning a lot of Olympic medals back in those days. Right. Not many at all. Yeah. And he fights a tough Nigerian called David Izonrate. He wins. The Nigerian wins the fight. So Tua gets a bronze medal. And by the end of the year, he's a professional based in the US, fighting in Neville Nowhere joints as they build up his impressive stats. You've got to have the stats. Yeah. You know? He's five foot ten, by the way. That's three inches short. Oh, I think that includes the hair with the big hair. <laughs> we'll get to that as well. What is involved in a boxer going pro? It's a decision you make, right? And, and what are the sort of the upsides and the downsides? Well, the upside is the manager gets most of the money, obviously, doesn't he? And um, you do all the hard work in the ring, and they sort of uh, try to cash in on it. Mm. Um, and the thing is, they 
to, it's all about building up a record. Like he won his first 27 fights. But a classic case, I remember in Auckland, he fought a guy one year called Cecil Coffey. He never took off his tracksuit. And we realised after the fight, he lasted about a round, so we renamed him Instant Coffee. I mean, some of these guys were, in boxing terms, they were stiffs. Yeah. They were only in there doing, make the record look good. His real fight came at fight number 28, though. He fought another Nigerian, a guy called um, Ike, the president, Ibiabuchi. He was a tough guy. Mm. And at that stage, the most combined punches ever thrown in a heavyweight fight. They just unloaded. Gosh. Tua lost the decision, but eventually he was the long-term winner because the word is that Ibiabuchi may have snapped something in his brain. Something went wrong. Yeah. Um, he retired undefeated after about 20 fights, but went off the rails, probably spent more time in criminal facilities, correctional facilities, than in the ring. And that's the risk. It's a dangerous sport. Who is David Tua's management at this stage? Now? No, like at the, the oh, time that we're stage. talking about. Um, he was with, uh, he started, started out, I think, was Lou Duva, was a guy who brought him through the early days, who was a pretty influential guy in the States. Uh, Kevin Barry was his trainer. And things were going well. You know, he uh, obviously got the title fight in 2000. Everyone got excited. That's eight years after turning pro, so it was a slow burn. Yeah. 1996, John Ruiz, do you remember that one? What, all 19 seconds, was it? Or well, 17 seconds? He was, I mean, you were talking about these guys who were just basically there to make his record up. But John Ruiz was meant to be pretty pretty he, dangerous. He went on to win two world titles mm. later. Yeah, he made a mess of him. And he had a habit of doing that too. I mean, because he could punch. He had a big punch. And if he got you, you're in trouble. And that was quite spectacular. But as I say, Ruiz ironically went on to win, win, win two world titles. Um, talking to Stephen Stewart about David Tua. So, yeah, you mentioned that one against Ike. He lost it narrowly. Um and the victory was meant to secure a meeting with the winner of Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield. Um, but there was a bit of politics going on. He actually had to wait for a while for that fight. There's always politics. Yeah. You think politics, you think Don King, someone like that behind the scenes. Yeah. He was patient. I mean, he bided his time. And he was. you'd like to think he was getting better all the time. Like... He wasn't a great technician, uh-huh. but he had the punch. And that's what, you, that's what promoters and the crowds loved. He had the ability to put someone on their backside. So how big was this David Tua-Lennox Lewis fight when it happened in the year 2000? Biggest sporting event of the year. I think it was bigger than the Olympics where we won one gold medal that year. I think the, the All Blacks lost to Australia, I think, at Athletic Park. So this was the redemption for New Zealand sports fans. Yeah. I mean, I remember in the office, everyone was throwing money at me. I don't know why. Saying, you've got to put it on David Tua when you get to <laughs> Vegas. Everyone, who, people who didn't bet yeah. were entrusting, which was a bit dangerous, entrusting me with all their hard-earned loot to invest on tour when I got to the, um, the Mandalay Bay Casino. Um, it was huge. A who's who of boxing was there. It's, I was stunned. I just looked back at one of the tapes I had and... Uh, one of the guys I interviewed was the original CNN sports anchor, a guy called Nick Charles. It was Al Bernstein, who was a legendary boxing journalist. And they all loved Tua because he was different and he was funny. Lennox Lewis was Canadian, and I don't want to upset your viewers, but he's a pretty dry Canadian, just quietly. He was dull. <laughs> so they loved Tua. Tua's exciting. He got up, he, he was great with one-liners, and he had the look. He was something fresh on the scene, and... The Americans loved him because the fight was in the U.S. Who's going to support a Canadian in the U.S.? Seriously. <laughs> Let's uh, take a listen to Tua doing a bit of a wind-up of Lennox Lewis ahead of the fight. Uh, no! 
heavyweight champion of the world, all the way from Samoa, by the way of New Zealand, now fighting out of Las Vegas, Nevada, USA, David Tua, man. Tua! Chihu. Media dream. You can't ask for, you can't script that when he gets up at a press conference and drops that on you. I mean, it's, it leads your story, doesn't it? It was just, he was gold. Yeah. And um, tell me about the hair. Hair raising, wasn't it? <laughs> Some people won't remember this. He, I, I didn't think about it until, I, until you sent these notes through. He had, he, I don't know how he grew it, but it obviously made him look taller. It gave him this distinctive look. The tour man or the tour manator, as he's also called. Mm-hmm. I preferred throwing Samoan because he you know, obviously, obviously could, yeah, yeah, could throw land bombs. But um, it was all part of the package. You've got to give it to his management at the time. They did a pretty good job. You know, people were talking about him. The fight was prime time in New Zealand uh, just before 6 o'clock, I yeah, think, on a Sunday I remember, night. I remember. I was going through the airport at the time, and the whole airport was crowded around this tiny TV screen. Exactly. You know, he... It was different. And something funny was happening with the, with the rights, too, as I recall. Yeah, well, I've been following him since, what, about 1990 when he was an amateur. I was really excited to go to Vegas for TVNZ. Yeah. But my old network, TV3, rang up about a week beforehand and said, look, we bought, exclu- bought exclusive news rights. And I said, what? What are those? No one's ever bought exclusive news rights for a sports story in this country before. They said, probably not worthwhile you going. So two choices, I could pick up my ball and go and sulk in the corner. We could start hustling other talent. And this is Vegas. There's people everywhere you can talk to. It's amazing, a big venue like that. You can't go wrong. Yeah. So it's like being having the rights to an all-black test when you're stuck inside with all the talent and the ex-players. I was on the outside peering through the fence saying, well, who can I get? <laughs> it wasn't hard. There's such good talent over there. We've got a little clip here. Uh, this is you for TVNZ in Las Vegas. The public has already cast its vote on the fight outcome. More than a 1,000 votes were recorded yesterday to coincide with the U.S. presidential elections. And Lewis won a landslide victory, 5-1. to one. Stephen Stewart, Las Vegas, One News. Yeah, that probably summed up the uh, odds pretty well, right? 5 to uh, Lewis and 1 to Tua. Yeah, but the thing was, talking to boxing people over there, they, they described Lennox Lewis as a Charlie, which is a boxing term saying he wasn't that brave. If Tua could have got to him and hit him... Lewis would have been in trouble. Mm. So those odds perhaps were a little out of whack. They were a, bit, a little lopsided. Gee, interesting time to be in the US with the election on as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, which is why I couldn't get a crew. So we had to hire a local crew and everything went wrong. I got a little paranoid. I was hearing all sorts of stories later about why things went wrong. But um, like an editor who couldn't edit, uh, <laughs> talent not turning up for interviews. I was thinking, what's happening here? This is not a good start. Yeah, and but, what, what was happening uh, Go on. It's boxing. It's pretty murky. Um, I heard that the production manager of the company we were using was having a, a little fling with someone in the tour camp. I heard that later, of course, and I thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Um, but fortunately, an old mate of mine, tour Pillow, Evan Charlton, was over there filming a doco for Australian TV, which said he never got to and he never got paid because that's boxing. <laughs> and he ended up doing all the editing for me, all the cutting, and sort of being my bodyguard as well. Gosh. What was the, what was the vibe over there? Um... It was pretty good, but after the fight itself, it was pretty intense. The press conference was pretty intense. Okay. Before we get there, um, describe the two men. So we mentioned Tua's height, um, and Lennox Lewis had not just a height advantage, but when you're that much taller, you also have a reach advantage. Sure, comes with it, yeah. And this is no surprise to Tua's camp. They would have known this heading in. Did they have a plan? 
they didn't appear to have a plan B. I mean, the feeling was, I talked to a few people after the fight, like a guy who fought in the undercard, a guy had been in jail for manslaughter, a big tough guy, went down four times, got up, carried on. I said, what would you have done? Thrown more punches. Mm. You've got to wear some punishment to get in there if you're a little guy. You've got to ex- accept you're going to wear some leather. And the feeling was he just didn't really do that. Yeah. He didn't back himself to get in there and put, put his life on the line. And that's what it is. It's, it's that big a fight that is your future. In order, to, in order to get to a spot where he could throw a big punch at Lennox Lewis, he had to get on in the inside, basically. Because of the reach. Yeah. You know, uh, powerful hands and arms, but not that long. I remember being, it being very frustrating to watch as a New Zealander. Well, do you remember that? The classic shot where he almost went through the ropes. Uh. He threw this haymaker, Miss uh. Lewis, who was quite crafty, crafty uh. fighter, and he went flying through the ropes, almost went out of the ring. Yeah. It's sort of that was the shot you saw the next day and all the coverage, you know, how he unfortunately couldn't get near him. Yeah. Good, still a good payday, though. He looked quite big as well, as I recall. Was Lewis. he in shape for the. No, I've toured. Was I've he toured. in shape for the fight? Yeah, they're saying, they're saying afterwards at the press conference he took a rib injury into it and it was aggravated. Okay. Well, I couldn't help myself, no, because we didn't have the rights. So I said to Lennox Lewis, um, did you know David Tua had an injury? He said, do you want to hear about all of my injuries? Because mm. that's boxing. You have injuries. Yeah. It's how you fight through them. But yeah, it was just so frustrating. I'll tell you the saddest part about that fight, though. I was outside sort of hovering and I ran into Jimmy Thunder, Jimmy Piao, who was the big... Yeah. Samoan boxer before yeah. tour. And even then, you could tell something was missing. I offered him a ticket, my ticket to go into the fight because I was stuck in the car park doing a live that no one was watching. Because mm. who's watching TV1 when yeah. the fight's live yeah. on TV3? Let's yeah. be honest, what a waste of time. <laughs> but anyway, he wouldn't take my ticket. I mean, he died a few years ago of head injuries. He became living on the streets. Casualty. You know, it's just boxing's a tough sport. Gee, that would be an interesting story to tell on this uh, uh, segment as well, the story of Jimmy Pierre. Sad, though. Yeah. Um, okay. Tell me about that press conference. What was, what, how many rounds did it go and what happened in the fight? fight went the distance, of course, but you just knew it was slipping away. I mean, to, take, to beat the champion, you've, you've got to beat him. You can't draw. So you've got to, you've got to get more points in Tua's case. You've got to knock him down. And he couldn't do it. On the night, it just didn't happen. It was... It was a great opportunity, and I don't know what the ratings were like, but they must have been enormous. Yeah. We joked later, it was the curse of TV3. Like when I worked there, whenever we got a sport, it would go belly up. Yeah. So it just wouldn't work out. I remember that as well. It seemed to be the case. Whenever a sport came to TV3 in the early days, like I remember the classic when we got the Winter Olympics and lost it because we couldn't afford to go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> things would be so exciting, then all of a sudden, reality. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it was something like an 86 share. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and, but Lennox beat him quite substantially. The scores maybe make it sound closer than it was, 117 to 111, 118 to 110, 119 to 109. That's the judges' scores. That's not close, though, is it? And the numbers, Lennox Lewis threw 261 more punches than Tua and outlanded him at a rate of almost 3 to 1. Says it all, doesn't it? They, they weren't knockout punches, but they were punches that kept Tua at bay, you know, out of range. So, crafty fighter, likeable bloke, uh, Canadian, but also sort of British links as well. Quite funny. I actually met his manager when I arrived there. I was checking into the Mandalay Bay, and I thought, that guy looks familiar. And being a Kiwi on the outside, you know, on the outer, I bowled up to him. It was Emmanuel Stewart. No relation, sadly. Mm. And uh, he was going into a coffee bar opposite the Mandalay Bay, and I said, look, 
any chance I'd get an interview. Yeah. Invited me up to his penthouse suite oh the next day. Gosh. Unbelievable. Wow. What a cool guy. Yeah. With his gold chain. But he had the he had he just had the cred. And he was very uh generous towards Tua. But they were always confident they were gonna win. Mm. What was that press conference like after the after the fight? Well, there was a lot of cheerleading New Zealand media there, let's be honest. Mm. And they I just I think they were stunned. There was a lot of love for Tua. Um, but people I talked to afterwards, like Jeff Fennick, the tough Aussie boxer, said you would have had to carry him out in a stretcher in a fight like that. You've got to put your life on the line. Mm. I talked to a British guy who said, oh, with his terrible, might have been an Essex accent, I can't do it very well, but, oh, Lord David Tui stunk out the gaff. <laughs> no, things like that. I mean, they were all pro tour before the fight. Yeah. But in Vegas, things can change very... Have you, have you been to Vegas? Yeah. We know what it's like. It's anything you want it to be. Yeah. Things can change very quickly. The mood. And so for David Tua, he goes from top of the world to presumably pretty low after that. He had a couple more fights. He lost to Chris Bird, who was a similar fighter uh, to Lennox Lewis. Also went on to become a world champion. Difficult fighter. But then, of course, 2003, he should have been at the height of his powers. Age is about 30. Good years for a boxer. He's out of the ring for two years because of you know what? The legal actions. Right, that was him versus Kevin Barry. I'm also Marty Pugh, his okay. manager. Uh, yeah, interesting guy. Um, yeah, could I say the New Zealand version of Don King? He was, yeah, he was, uh, he was interesting. So him and Barry, the question was, how much did they get and how much did David get? Took them what six years to work out a settlement. Gosh, crazy. Yeah, and and what you think missed some prime boxing years? Oh, clearly, you're still very marketable. If you got that punch, you'll still get another chance. Remember, he was never knocked out in his career, his professional career. He would have put bums on seats still. And in fact, I think turned down a few world title shots during that time. Yeah, well, the management got a bit murky again. He had American managers and uh, he just didn't get the action he should have. So he was basically out of the ring for a couple of years. Then there were a couple of comebacks, weren't there? Mm -hmm. 2005 comeback and then... Actually, the 2009 comeback against Shane Cameron, a lot of New Zealanders will remember. Well, everyone was hyping this fight up, weren't they? Because he never got to fight Jimmy Thunder. That was supposed to happen in 1986. It was supposed to be the big fight. 96, rather. The big fight then. But Shane Cameron was the great white hope. He was like the former farm worker, sharer from down on the East Coast. Likeable bloke. Just had a slight issue, though, Jesse. He would stand in front of you and get hit. <laughs> and against David Tewitt, probably not a wise move. What? Midway early in the second round, he went down, and that was it. Nine seconds, seven seconds into the second bit, round. It only just come out of his corner, and bang, he's, he's out of it. Yeah. Um, so a lot of hype expectation around that, and it was very short-lived. And people got excited again, but just didn't really kick on. So he eventually finished his career, and, and what do we make of the career of David Tua? Well, he had a few parts, didn't he? Like... Um, the amateur career, winning, let's not dismiss it, an Olympics bronze medal is pretty good effort. Mm. 19 years old, fighting big, tough Africans and the like. Um, and then the fact that he got to a world title fight, uh, came back. He fought some, the fact also, what you said, 59 fights, I think, wasn't it? Remember, he had two draws as well, but he was never knocked out. He was knocked down, I think, in his second last fight, well, which stage has probably passed his best, but he got people excited. You know, he was uh, a magnet, I guess, for for not just boxing fans. People get excited by guys throwing big punches and yeah. people falling over. 
Still got some star. A bit like MMA these days. Still got some star quality. I've got a picture of him here appearing next to Jacinda Ardern at a political rally in 2017. Remember there's talk of him going into politics? Was there? Yeah, there was at the time. His personality changed a bit over the years, though. I got quieter. When you compare him from that, when he did the Let's Get Ready to Rumble, Bring It On, to later days, he got really reserved. Um, I'm not saying he suffered any head knocks, because I don't think he did, but he just became a quiet guy. But... He re-emerged in the public domain also earlier this year when at his gym in Onihanga. He was sparring with Miyamoto, who's the big female heavyweight boxing champion. And he was talking again, which is good to see because he'd been quiet for a long time. Mm. Which is a, sh- a pity because he, he was a really interesting guy. Um, remember, you, you might have seen him back in the maybe early 2000s. He used to drive around Auckland City in a little mini with <laughs> Tour Man or something written on the back of it. Here's yeah. this really, you know, well not tall, but big guy in his little mini. He, Bought his parents a house in Mangere. He lived in, a, I think, the Ambassador Hotel in Queen Street. He had the trappings for a while. Fantastic. David Tua, who now is still actually only 51 years old. Has he just turned is he, is he turned 51? Uh, uh, t- sorry, he's 50. He's yeah, 50, turns yeah. 51 this year. He's not in bad nick, because I mean, mm-hmm. you can. some of those boxes don't age well. I mean, if you've, if you've taken multiple knocks, it's like, I suppose, loose forwards in the collision crossroads. Mm. You can get old very quick. But he's still, yeah, he's, and he's got his gym, I mean, and he's still got that aura, I guess. A lot of love for him, not just here, but especially in Samoa. I mean, there's an icon over there. And now he's an ONZM. Yeah, that was last year. Was it last year? Yeah. Hmm, was it? I don't have it in front of me. No, but you're right. No, so that was... 2019. Uh, yeah. Four years ago. So nice to be honoured like that and remembered. Um, and, of course, Joseph Parker came along, and let's be honest, not a patch on David Tua, even though he did win a world title. But again, it would have been a mismatch in the ring. Stephen Stewart, thanks so much. My pleasure. I'm sure your ONZM isn't far away. Uh, Well, I don't think Peter Williams is going to get one now, is he? (laughs) (laughs) Nice to talk to you. Thanks so much. Stephen Stewart, uh, concluding our latest episode of New Zealand Sporting History, which we do around this time on a Thursday each week here on Afternoons.